0: Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, will be our text today. Before uh, I read that text, I was reminded of the words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. I'd like to read that to you. It says, that which has been is what will be, that which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. Um, It's one of the reasons you always hear people say history repeats itself. History repeats itself because man forgets and man forgets because we fail to remind man we fail to remind ourselves we fail to remind others and here in Titus chapter 3 verse verses 1 through 9 Paul begins this chapter though this is just a letter there were no chapter markers and verse markers when Paul wrote this but in our chapter 3, verse 1, it begins with these words, remind them. And Paul is exhorting Titus, Pastor Titus, to remind the believers because Paul is aware of the words of Solomon and Paul is aware that man forgets. And unless we are reminded, we too will forget. So our text today, Titus chapter 3, Verses 1 through 9, follow with me. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to all men. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And this truly is good news. So Lord, as we look at your word today, as we are reminded of these faithful sayings, of this doctrine, this teaching that makes for Sound doctrine and firm faith. We ask that you would work by your Holy Spirit in us to renew our minds and to conform us to the image of Christ, that we would be a people, your church in the world, to give witness to your glory. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We need to be constantly reminded. I think that's a fair statement, because we too easily forget. Titus 1, uh, I'm I'm sorry, Titus 3, verses 1 through 2, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Remind them. This is the work of a pastor, to remind his flock, to remind the believers, to remind them by speaking things that make for sound doctrine. Remember, this is how Paul started out with Titus. He said, don't fail to speak the things that make for sound doctrine. Those are the things that I am charged, I am commanded by God to remind you of. It is the things that you are to remind yourself of and to remind others around you. Repetition is built into the scripture so that the people of God will be reminded and learn the truth they are to walk in. Philippians 3.1, Paul writes, Finally, my brethren... Rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Paul tells the Philippians that it's not tedious, it's not bothersome, but safe to write the same things. Why is it safe? Because the reminder is needed. And this, and this is needed because we forget they needed to be reminded that they are to be subject to rulers and authorities. We are on the cusp of an election. By Tuesday evening and the days following, we're going we're to find out what rulers and what authorities will be in place in our nation, in our state, in our county. Those rulers and those authorities are placed there by God. And here Paul writes that we are to be subject to rulers and authorities. I don't think we like that very much, but it is scriptural. We like it when they're good rulers and good authorities. We don't like it when they're not good rulers and not good authorities. But it's not qualified here. Be subject to the rulers and the authorities you think are good. Now I am charged to remind you that you are to be subject to rulers and to authority, but not blindly subject, like many did during the COVID lockdowns. For all rulers and all authorities are to first be subject to their ruler, to their authority, who is the Lord. And any rule or any attempt to enforce any authority in a way that transgresses God's law and His commands is to be resisted by God's people. And that's not a contradiction to what is being written here by Paul and reminded to Timothy. You are not subject to rulers and authorities that require the believer to forsake the Lord to forsake his word, or to forsake his commands. We are all subject to the Lord's authority first. I've said this before, I'll remind you again. The most political statement you can make is, Jesus is Lord. And we read that and we fail to understand exactly how political that statement is. It, it is so political that it literally costs tens of thousands, if not many more, hundreds of thousands of Christians their lives under the Roman Empire. Because under the Roman Empire, the cry that the rulers and the authorities commanded the people to make, the profession that the people were commanded to make was Caesar is Lord. Because Caesar was considered God himself. And so the Roman authorities commanded all men under their authority. They pretty much controlled much of the world at that time, much of the populated world. Much of the civilized world, if we can say it like that, was under their control, under their rule. And the people in that empire were commanded to profess, to confess, Caesar is Lord. But the Christians said, we cannot. Because Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. We will live and be good citizens. We will pay our taxes. We will not uh, murder and steal and do the things that our God commands us not to do. But we will not confess Caesar is Lord. And so the cry of the church was Jesus is Lord. And do you know that that is still the cry of the church today? Jesus is Lord. The president is not Lord. The Congress is not Lord. The Republicans, the Democrats, the independents, the Greens, the Communists, the capitalists none of those are Lord. Jesus is Lord. And come next week, this time, a week from today, our hope is not going to be in whatever party won the election. And though there may be new men and new women and new parties in authority, Jesus is still Lord. And we better understand that and we better look to that and trust in that. Because I don't care what color party wins the election. They're not the answer. They're not the solution. Unless they're bowing the knee to Jesus and themselves confessing that Jesus is Lord. And they are ruling and they are governing under that lordship of Christ. And until that happens, the best we can do is pray. For those in authority. And we are commanded to do that. You are not subject to rulers and authorities. That require you to check your faith at the door. Now I'm not saying that you. You don't use wisdom. I just was told yesterday. A good friend of mine was told. This week. That he cannot. Speak of God. On the campus in which he works. Can't do it. So I'm sure my friend will have a decision to make. Or he seeks God's wisdom of how to bear witness in a way that will keep him where he, in his job. If he feels and believes that's where God wants him to be. We are to be subject to those who rule and exercise authority in submission to the Lord. That is true for civil authorities as well as spiritual authorities. Your pastors, your elders are authorities over you, rulers and leaders that you are to be subject to as they are subject to the Lord himself. And we're commanded here, Paul writes to Titus, to obey we obey the Lord first, and then all of those who rule or have authority under Him. We're to be ready for every good work. I'm reminding you that you are to be ready, not when the emergency happens, but prior to the emergency. That means you must be a people prepared. You're to be doing those things that make for you, for you to be a ready people now, I'm not talking about having your bug-out bag and all your prepper stuff ready. I mean, go ahead and do that if you want to. But that's not the kind of readiness that we're talking about here. We're talking about a spiritual readiness. You are to be availing yourself to the things that will contribute to growth and maturity spiritually so that when you are called upon or when you stumble into that situation or circumstance, that opportunity that God presents to you to give witness to him, you are ready. When the unthinkable happens to you, when what you never saw coming happens in your life, you're not caught off guard, but you're ready. You're to speak evil of no one. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should need no reminder that we are Not to speak evil. The world may very likely react in an evil manner to the truth, but we are to never respond in kind as the world does. We are to be reminded that we are to speak evil of no one. We can oppose evil. We can stand against evil without speaking evil of people. And we are to do just that. And when you speak the truth in love, just realize the world may think that you're being evil toward them, but you're not. And you can't do anything about that. Uh, We have this happening right now in our own community. Uh, To prevent sexual perversion from being displayed at our Christmas parade, we just made a little caveat on our application forms and said that we are the Taylor Christmas Parade of Lights, a celebration of traditional biblical and family values. And just that little caveat under the title of a Taylor Christmas Parade of Lights has caused evil to just be spewed out toward us. I got a call yesterday from the head of the American Legion in Taylor saying that we were not able to use their facility because we have become too exclusive in, 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 in saying about a, you know, get this church, a Christmas, a Christ mass parade, a parade celebrating Christ. Oh, you put the word biblical there, so we're, we can't be associated with you. You see how convoluted and confused and just wicked, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness the world is? Speaking evil about the truth and those who stand for the truth, but we're not to reciprocate in kind. We are to stand and not back down just because we get canceled by the culture, whoever that might happen to be. Paul goes on, he says, that we are to be reminded, Titus, I remind you to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. How are we to speak? In a peaceable, gentle, humble manner. That means we are peaceable and gentle and humble with those we like and agree with, but also with those we may not like and may not agree with. A peaceable, gentle, and humble manner is warranted with all men, Paul writes, especially those outside who are of the world who may be skeptics and who may disagree. He didn't say be humble Peaceable and gentle with all men you agree with, with all men. The rule is to be peaceable, gentle, and humble, even in the case of stern and needed discipline in the church. Speaking the truth in love is to be done peaceably, gently, and with all humility to all men. But as you know, discipline can be painful. And when people are in pain... Whether it's for a good reason or not, they very often will accuse you of seeking to harm them or to have evil intention. And as Christians, as a pastor and you as a Christian, me as a Christian, I have to be able to discern the difference. To know when the truth is warranted, even when this person I'm speaking it to is not going to receive it well. And they may falsely accuse me, and they may falsely accuse you, but the truth is warranted. Don't back down from the truth just because someone may speak evil of you. Verse 3, Titus 3.3, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. You might say, Well, Pastor Jeff, that's pretty presumptuous of you. I was never like that. But I would remind you, I'm not saying this. I'm just reading it. The Bible says you were all once like that. And I'll confess to you, I was once like that. And apart from God's grace, I still struggle and am tempted to be like that. We ourselves were also once. In other words, apart from Christ, this is who we all were once and can still be today apart from his grace. Ephesians 5.8, Paul writes, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. People think the Apostle Paul is painting with a broad brush there. He's painting with more than a broad brush. This is our human condition. And it has nothing to do with how polite, how moral, how kind, how passive you are. This is why we believe in the doctrine of original sin. Babies aren't born sweet, they're born sinful. And we know that's true because you don't have to teach a baby how to sin. You don't have to teach any human how to sin. It comes naturally because they're born with the sin nature. Which is exactly why Jesus said, you must be born again. You were once darkness, but now, having been born again, having been born from above, you are light in the Lord. Well, well, so what do we do then? You walk as children of light. Now in Christ, we are light in the Lord. We are no longer foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's not who we are anymore. Those are all characteristics of darkness. Doesn't mean we can't slip into those things, but that's not who we are. That's not our identity any longer. In Christ, we are no longer darkness As Paul writes to the believers in his letters to the Thessalonians, he writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.5, You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. You were once of the night. You were once darkness, but now in Christ, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. That's good news, church. That is hope news that is hope that will not disappoint now in Christ we are no longer darkness we are light in the Lord therefore we are to walk as children of light we are to no longer be conformed to this world we are to be being conformed it's not we have been conformed we are being conformed we are to be being conformed every day every moment of every day Conform to who? Conform to Christ, who is our life and our light. We are to walk in the light as he is in the light. Titus chapter 3, verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. When the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. You were darkness, but when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, something changed. The Father caused His kindness and His love to appear toward us in Jesus Christ. God, our Savior, here in this verse, refers to the Father in heaven. So when Paul writes... But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward a man appeared, he is speaking there not of God our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's speaking there of God our Savior, the Father. This is a nod to the triune Godhead, a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father caused his kindness and love to appear toward us where? In Jesus Christ. God our Savior here is the Father in heaven, and God the Father loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten Son to save all of those who were appointed to salvation. This is the work of God's grace. This is not our work. This is not of us. In his kindness and love, he sent forth his Son to appear for our salvation. We are to be reminded that we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving lust, pleasures, living in malice, envy, hateful and hating one another. That is until until the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared for our salvation. Do you see how hopeless you were until your salvation appeared? Do you see how hopeless we are? Do you see how hopeless humanity is apart from Jesus Christ, who is our salvation? Do you see how futile it is to put your trust in political parties or kings or presidents? Now, I'm not saying don't go vote. Go vote. Because God gave you the right as an American to vote for your leaders. And if you don't exercise that right, if you don't take advantage of and be grateful for the rights that God has graced you with, and I do mean graced you with because it is his grace that we have this right. And if we take his grace for granted, we may find that grace has been removed. And you don't want that to happen. You never want His grace to be removed. We do not become light in the Lord by our own efforts. Only God, by His power, can call light out of darkness. We are trophies of His grace. In His grace, the kindness and love of God our Savior has appeared to us. And by His grace alone... We are given life, and we are given eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to believe. That's grace, church. It's all grace all the time. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. When his grace appeared, it was not by works of righteousness, which we have done, But according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Paul is emphasizing here that it is the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man that caused the manifestation of our salvation. God has saved us not by and not because of works of righteousness which we did. God wasn't waiting in heaven to see how good we were going to be before he sent his son. Well, I'm not sending my only begotten son if they're not going to appreciate him. Not only do we not appreciate him, we hated him so much we murdered him. We weren't just indifferent to him, we murdered him. And you say, well, Pastor Jeff, I would never do that. It's a good thing you weren't alive when Jesus walked the earth, because I'm telling you right now, we would have all except by the grace of God, we would have been all right there cheering them on as they murdered the Son of God. Because that is what darkness does. And remember what the Bible says, you were once darkness. I was once darkness. That's why I can be so certain that in my state of darkness, I would have been right there cheering on the murder of the Son of God. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his grace. God has saved us, not by or because of our works of righteousness, which we have done. For no one is saved and no one is justified by works. Salvation appeared according to his mercy, Paul writes. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. All the law can do is point out our need for a Savior. It's not that we're to disobey it. We're to obey it. We're to keep it to the best of our ability. But what the law truly shows us is we have no ability in ourselves to keep the law. And we are absolutely dependent upon God's grace. Because what God demands, we can never meet. He demands absolute perfection, and that is only found in Jesus Christ. Neither are we disqualified from His grace and mercy because of our sin, for it is in our sin that requires His grace and mercy to save us. So in our sin, we require God's mercy. We require God's grace in order to be saved. So don't think that you're so bad that God's grace isn't great enough to save you. That is pride. That is arrogance. You are worse than you could ever imagine, and God still saved you. And that's true for all. That's why whatever they might say for us, they really can't say anything that's too bad because I'm much worse than what they could possibly say or imagine about me. And God saved me anyway. 1 Corinthians 6.11 And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So it is not our works, whether good or bad, that determine our salvation. But it is His grace. It's His mercy in Jesus Christ. It's the work of Jesus. It's the finished work. Thus those words uttered by Christ on the cross. It is finished. And there is nothing you or I can add to it. Nothing. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Not by works of righteousness, but according to his mercy. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we are saved according to his mercy. Then in verse 5, Paul says, Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Our salvation springs from the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. In His mercy the Lord saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now, what's interesting here is this word translated washing in verse 5 here of Titus 3. This word washing in this verse is literally the word laver or bath. It's it's the noun form speaking of where the washing takes place, not the washing itself. This is not the verb form that, that would refer to the act of washing or bathing, but it is literally the bath. Or the labor in which one is to be washed. This is alluding to baptism. This is picturing for these believers reading this letter in Paul's day the labor at the temple, or the labor that was in the tabernacle, the labor where the priests were commanded to go and wash before they were to go to the altar of sacrifice, and certainly before they were to go into the holy place to offer the blood. Because if they went to either one of those without washing, they would die. It was a death penalty, an automatic death penalty. So what do you think those priests did? They made sure they washed. And God put a labor there for them to wash. In the tabernacle, they washed their hands and their feet. When the temple was built, that labor was so big it was like what we, we'd call it a swimming pool. It was seven and a half feet deep, and it was massive. And it was made of mirrors. Now, you realize they didn't have glass mirrors in that day. When they made the laver in the tabernacle, God collected the mirrors from the ladies, told all the ladies, bring your mirrors. Well, what that was was polished brass, brass polished so finely that it was a mirror. That's what the laver was made out of, the one at the tabernacle as well as the one in the temple. It was a gigantic mirror. And when that priest walked up to that laver and he looked into it, let's just think about the laver at the tabernacle. When he looked into that laver, he saw the reflection of himself. And if there was an imperfection on him, he was forbidden to go to the altar Or to go into the holy place. This is what Paul is referencing here in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Through the washing of regeneration, or through the labor, through the labor of regeneration. It's not presenting baptism as the means of regeneration but as the outward sign of the inward work that may only be done by the Holy Spirit. The washing of regeneration, the labor of regeneration, signifies the expectation of an outward manifestation of the inward work of the Spirit in salvation. In other words, to kind of put it in the way Jesus put it in John 15, If we are branches abiding in Christ, who is the true vine, then the expectation is that the fruit will be produced through his life dwelling in us. The labor of regeneration speaks of that expectation. It speaks of that washing that identifies us with Christ. It speaks of a lot of things. When you think about, that labor also represents the Word of God. And in that sense, the Word of God is the mirror that shows us who we truly are when we look into that perfect Word. Then he goes on and he says, The washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. These are working together here. The washing or the labor of regeneration speaks of the water of baptism, the outward sign of the inward work. The renewing of the Holy Spirit speaks of Christ's resurrection life imparted to us by the indwelling Holy Spirit that is abundantly poured out. As Paul describes, the renewing of the Holy Spirit is the inward work being made manifest outwardly. What the labor speaks of outwardly is what the Spirit is doing inwardly in us. The washing of regeneration, our baptism, identifies us in our salvation and our cleansing in Christ. The renewing of the Holy Spirit brings about the fruitful reality and manifestation of our salvation in Christ. If I just experience... The labor of regeneration. If I just get washed in water, but I'm never renewed by the Holy Spirit, there is no salvation. John 15:3, you are already clean because the word which I have spoken, because of the word which I've spoken to you. The word of God washes us by the renewing power of the Holy Spirit. Paul affirms the, the work of Christ in his bride, the church, by the Holy Spirit. In, Ephesians 5, 26, when he writes that he, that Christ, might sanctify and cleanse her, the bride, the church, with the washing of water by the word. The word that sanctifies and cleanses us does so in the renewing power of the Holy Spirit. In his mercy, God saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6. Let me read verses 5 and 6. Not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. The Holy Spirit that that renews us is poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of the Holy Spirit, we have a hope that will not disappoint. And we are sealed with a promise that cannot be broken. Romans 5.5. Now, hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Ephesians 1.13. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, and there is nothing of Him that we are lacking. I'm going to say that again. If you are in Christ, there is nothing of Him that you are lacking, except, this is the point of our Bible study on Sunday mornings right now. The only thing that is lacking is the, the, the full comprehension of all that has been freely given to us in Christ. Remember, I talked about this last week. My problem in algebra wasn't that the algebra book was incomplete. My problem in algebra was that my comprehension of the book was incomplete. And this is the same for us in Christ. We're not lacking anything. I need more of you, Jesus. No, he's given all that he can possibly give to you. You don't need more of Jesus. You need a greater comprehension of the Jesus and the fullness you already have in him. Paul's prayer for the church was that we know the fullness that we have in Christ. Let me read you Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20. This is a prayer Paul prays for the church at Ephesus. Paul writes, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And here's his prayer. of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Amen. It is in the renewing power of the Holy Spirit abundantly poured out on us that we are to walk in. We're to walk in the Spirit, and if we walk in the Spirit, Paul says, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh, Galatians 5, 16. It's not just our knowledge and our comprehension of the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, but it is also our obedience to walk in that power. Now, if I don't comprehend the power I have, I'm not going to be able to walk in it. But as I walk in the light that's been given to me. So we don't wait till we get all the light and then I'm going to obey Christ. God, I'll obey you when you, when you when you answer all my questions and show me everything I need to know, everything I want to know, everything I think I need to know. No, that's not how it works. David wrote in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp unto my feet. We want to believe that's this big halogen flashlight, you know, with about 6,000 lumens. And we can see hundreds of yards in front of us. Miles in front of us. That's not it. It's a little bitty oil lamp that shines enough light for your next step. That's about it. That's about it. In other words, God says, your word is a lamp under my feet. David wrote this. Your word is a lamp under my feet. In other words, your word helps me take one step at a time. And beyond that, Step I can see is darkness. I don't know. And nowhere does the Bible say, wait till you can see everything, wait till you know everything, and then go for it. No. You walk in the light that's giving it. And as you walk, you're going to keep walking in to the newness. You'll keep walking into the comprehension. You'll keep walking into the knowledge of it. But it requires faith to take that step, one step at a time. So it is in that renewing power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to do that. It's not just our knowledge. It's not just our comprehension. It is our obedience. And we walk and we obey in the knowledge and the comprehension we have at that time. As Samuel told Saul, in rebuke, to obey is better than sacrifice. Through our fruitful obedience, the Lord is glorified. Titus 3.7 This renewing of the Holy Spirit that has been poured out abundantly through Jesus Christ, it is through that renewing work of the Holy Spirit that we, verse 7, Titus 3.7, that having been justified by His grace, We should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Having been justified by His grace, we become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Our justification is only by His grace. You have nothing to do with your justification. You have a lot to do with your sanctification because your sanctification includes your obedience. But even that, ultimately, is His grace. You will never be justified, and you will never be sanctified apart from God's grace. You have no part to play in your justification, but God gives you the privilege to participate in your sanctification. And as you participate, as you're walking that step-by-step, don't forget that it is God who gives you the grace to even take that step. Romans 3.24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Through our justification, we become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Romans 8.16 and 17, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. We like to cut the end of that verse off right there. We like the first part of verse 17, but we don't like the last part because no one likes to suffer. But suffering, unfortunately, is part of this life. Romans 8, 24 and 25, Paul goes on in his letter to the Romans, pinning these words, for We were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Our hope in Christ is sure. We are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. The promise is sealed by His Holy Spirit. We may not always see it, We may not always feel it, but our faith is not based on what we feel and what we see. It is based on his word. It is based on his promise, his sure promise given to us in Christ by the Holy Spirit. As the writer of Hebrews encourages us, we do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus. There is nothing, there is nothing not in subjection to him. He is above all things, and He is Lord of all things. We do not yet see it, but our hope is sure in Him, and it will not disappoint, God promises. Therefore, let us eagerly wait for it and work hard, church, work hard to see His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven Titus 3.8, Paul concludes this exhortation to Pastor Titus with these words. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. All that Paul is communicating to Titus concerning the sound doctrine of our faith, concerning our salvation in Christ, this is the faithful saying he is referring to here. When he says this faithful saying, I want you to affirm constantly. The faithful saying concerning our salvation in Christ and the hope of eternal life are the things that Paul wants Titus and every other pastor to affirm constantly so that those who have believed in in the truth, that's you, that's me, that's every believer, so that those who have believed in the truth and the living God, the true and living God, that is where your faith is, that's who your faith is in, that is the faith The faith of God, it is God's faith that enables you to place faith in Him. That's why faith is called a gift. And for those who have believed in the true and living God, affirm these things that they would be careful to maintain good works. Ephesians 2:10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Why should we maintain good works? Because God prepared good works for you to walk in, if you are his workmanship in Jesus Christ. God created good works for us to walk in. Maintaining works is a point of obedience. There is also the purpose of maintaining those good works for the witness to Christ that they will give to those outside the church, as well as the quality and the health of fellowship they provide for the believers inside the church. That's why Paul says that it is profitable to men. These things are good and profitable. Our lives should be lived our faith walked out in a way that is good and profitable to men. The determining factor of what is good and profitable is not man's opinion. I want you to hear this, church. It's not man's skewed, misplaced belief. It's not in his suppression of the truth and unrighteousness. But what is good and profitable is based on God's word illuminated by the Holy Spirit that indwells us and is renewing us for His glory. This is why, as Christians, we are to be anchored in the hope we have in Christ, not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine that blows through the culture or blows through the church. There's lots of things blowing right now. This is why pastors are commanded to provide these constant reminders lest we forget and become adrift and find ourselves blown off course. Thus we stay the course with this and all the other faithful sayings found in God's holy word. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's prepare to come to the Lord's table. As we come to this table, to receive and then eat and drink the bread and the cup, signifying, not just symbolizing, but signifying the real power of his body and his blood. And I want to remind you, church, his body is present here today, not in the little pieces of bread you're going to eat. His body is present here today because you're here today. Because the promise and the hope and the mystery that was kept, that was kept a mystery that was not revealed until Christ came, until Christ, our salvation, appeared. The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Christ is present at this table Because you're present at this table. So there is real power in his body. And there is real power in his blood. And we eat and we drink because it is real power. And your life, your faith is testament to that power. Amen? Amen. Welcome to the table and welcome to Jesus. Let us stand. And here is your charge. Remember who you once were, and don't forget it. Remind yourself who you are now in Christ, and do it frequently. You have been washed with the washing of regeneration and baptism. You have the renewing of the Holy Spirit abundantly poured out on you through Jesus Christ. You have been justified by His grace and made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And this hope and this promise is sure. It is sealed by the Holy Spirit. Walk in His good works, not to become saved, but because you are saved and because you are sealed in Him. And because... You are to be prepared for and walking in those works that He prepared for you beforehand. Maintain these things. Be reminded of these things. For they are good and profitable for you and to all men. Thanks be to God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. you. Enjoy lunch.